This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch, episode 26, covering Revolt 2011 from the Melrose, Massachusetts Wonderlands Ballroom on November 11th, 2011. 11, 11, 11. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, Click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our Red Circle page where there's a red button where you can either do a one-time or reoccurring donation. And all donate no donations are obligated, but certainly appreciated. And I'd like to thank all of our previous donations. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm joined alongside Case Lowe. In Case, 11-11-11. I did not realize that that's what they were doing here until we had this show. It's, it's total palindrome hours in Dragon Gate USA. I love it. I was, what, 12 years old at the time? Don't remember what I was doing on 11, 11, 11. I, I actually, that's not sure. I do remember I had my lunch period around 11 o'clock, and because I was 12, the idea of 11, 11, 11 at 11, 11 was notable. Uh, you know, nice, fun, innocent moment. But uh, it's the third Northeast triple shot of 2011. It's the final triple shot of 2011. We're really about to hit the home stretch of this promotion. <laughs> this is, uh, we're, we're going to end this weekend on a high point. I have not seen the show we're about to discuss until I watched it for this podcast. I'm very familiar with the next two weeks of shows. But wow, the end of 2011, two years deep into the promotion, two and a half years deep into Dragon Gate USA, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and we've reached the point where I knew it was going to happen with us, but we've reached now to a couple of final points. Next week will be the last ever show that DGUSA ever does in the former ECW arena. We've done the penultimate show in Chicago. They'll be doing one more show in Chicago, and that's it. We're really kind of in the tail stretch here. Like, it goes on for another two, another two years and four months, but really, like, 2011 is, like, by far the most output of the promotion. And then from there, I mean, it's just things will change, and we will be tracking the big changes, but we are about to... We're entering a new world in Dragon Gate. We're entering a new world in Dragon Gate USA and its place in the wrestling industry. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on between the end of the September shows, which were actually two months to this day, which between shows. So, okay, I know that you've compiled it. We've got a lot of Dragon Gate notes. We've got a lot of we've got a couple of DGUSA notes, and we also have Dragon Gate UK notes that we're going to get into before we get into the show review of Revolt. 
Yeah, this week we're looking specifically at the Dragon Gate timeline. Next week, there is a whole mess of U.S. indie shows happening just around this time period. And week three is going to be a little, of a, a little bit of a wild card. There's a ton of stuff to get into there. But we are talking about 11-11-11. But before we do that, we need to know how we got here. And we do go back to September 16th. Cork and Hall, Tokyo, Japan, Stormgate 2011, which saw Rich Ichikawa and Stalker Ichikawa defeating Don Fuji and Kotoka in the opening match of this show. Gamma and Masaki Mochizuki defeated KZ in the returning Brody Lee of Blood Warriors. We saw Dragon Kid and Masato Yoshino defeat Naruki Doi and Yasushi Kanda. Open the Brave Gate title Blood Warriors match. Pac became the definitive and unified Open the Brave Gate champion by defeating Naoki Tanazaki. There's an eight-man tag in which the Blood Warriors team of Shima, Horiguchi, Ricochet, and Ryo Saito defeated Kaness, Susumi Yokosuka, Kanichiro Rai, and Takawi Wasa. Uh, semi-main event, Kagatori and Shingo Takagi, they defeat BB Hulk and Cyber Kong. And the main event, which plays into the main event of this show we're talking about, Revolt, Akira Tozawa defeated Yamato in a no-ropes, no-disqualifications match. Mike, is there anything that sounds familiar to you from Stormgate 2011? Well, first and foremost, uh, Brody Lee being able to be back in the promotion after everything happened. Uh, uh, this was billed as the Hollywood Soccer Chikawa 2011 final series. I don't think they, he was ever seriously like bidding a due to the promotion. Of course, he's still there nine years later, but that was always something because Rich Swan also played an Ichikawa character. But really, I mean, Pac's now back. He took off a couple months, and now he's back in the promotion. They reunified the belts, even though it was... That as we talked about in previous timelines, the the title reign Naoki Tanizaki wasn't really a title reign to be quite honest. And then, really, like you have uh, Kaneska reuniting with Oriwa, and that starts kind of Windows. Windows is going to be happening real soon, and then the main event. I mean, No Ropes was a big thing for Dragon Gate for a while. It was a big Yamato match. Like Yamato was about No Ropes matches, and the fact that Akira Tozawa, I remember the finish because like he has like a metal sheet that he slides into the ring and that they do the uh, deadlift German onto it and then another deadlift German to get the win. And of course, probably the most remarkable thing from the show is the post-match. Yes, yeah, so there's a few different angles coming out of this that pertain to Drangit USA. Uh, one, after Pac regained the belt, he promptly challenged Genki Horiguchi, who was disguised as Metal Warrior. So they had a match set for Gate of Destiny uh, the following month. And then after the main event, after Akira Tozawa defeated Yamato, Masa- Masaki Mochizuki came out and challenged Tozawa himself. He said he wanted him on the October 13th cork, and so that match was set as well as Shingo Takagi versus Brody Lee in a Shima-requested true power fighter match to d- decide who is the most powerful man in Dragon Gate. Uh, it is deadly when Shima is is booking anything. Shingo versus Brody Lee, however, was a delight. So we have that to look forward to. But before we get to that, they ran Kobe Sambo Hall on October 2nd, 2011. Uh, the one match of note here, the reason I mention it, is the semi-main event was the Spiked Mohicans versus Pac and Ricochet in a rematch of the Way of the Ronin main event. You can listen to that uh, our review of that match, last week's episode, a, a match of the year contender our match of the year in Dragon Gate USA, they did a rematch of that in Sambo Hall on the second, where Masato Yoshino got his win back, and he pinned Ricochet in that match. Mike, that leads us to Hakata Star Lanes on October 9th, 2011, with a five-match 
Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 series. I rewatched part of the show today. I had no memory of this occurring, but the five main matches on this show, it began with Shima defeating Open the Dreamgate champion Masaki Mochizuki in only four minutes. Classic Toriyaman booking right there. Akira Tozawa defeated Dragon Kid to bring Blood Warriors to a 2-0 lead, but Masato Yoshino defeated Naruki Doi, and Yamato defeated BB Hulk to bring it back to 2-2. But in the main event, Ryo Saito defeated Shingo Takagi in just about 20 minutes to give Blood Warriors the 3-2 edge. Mike, do you remember this show at all? Because this one slipped my memory until today. Was this the show that they did not announce the matchups for the five match war until like they got into the ring and they did the tug of war thing where like everywhere like there were five ropes that they kind of like jumbled up and they tossed in the middle of the ring and everyone on one side grabs one side of the ropes and the other side grabs the other and then they see who's connected and that's what sets up the matches you know mike that goes a little bit out of my jurisdiction i'm gonna scramble to get you an answer yes or no i remember (laughs) seeing a video package for a match later on with that footage and now that you say it, I think it pertained to this match, uh, which uh, the scramble matches were red hot. It was really well done. Shima defeating Mochizuki with the first match on the show. There was a ton of shenanigans, obviously, but it was an exciting way of doing things. And uh, as I quickly, quickly scroll through web archive to see if I can yeah, find um, the card announcement, uh, I, be- I believe you're correct. Yeah, it- it's something that... that- was a cool thing that they did that I don't know how you would do it in 2020 Dragon Gate the three-way war, but it was a nice way of kind of livening things up. I imagine they were gimmicked in some fashion, but you know, Shima defeating Mochizuki in this fashion would play off later in the year. And then, I mean, Yamato getting the win on Hulk, considering that the big, one of the big feuds within the Blood Warriors Junction three was BB Hulk and, and Akira Tozawa versus Yamato and Shingo Takagi. And then the big, I mean, like, we talk about Shima putting down Mochizuki in four minutes. Ryo Saito defeating Shingo Takagi in 20 minutes is a huge upset. And, you know, I just seem to remember the fact that there were ropes there. Like, that's my big takeaway. But, like, looking at this thing, like, it all plays off for, for how the, the company's progressing that time. And, you, you know, I know not all of this may tape, but I would have been real interested in seeing Brody Lee and Naoki Tanizaki tag team with each other against Don Fuji and Katoka. That would have been an interesting match to see. That would have been lovely. And, Mike, I'm happy to confirm that your uh, inclination was correct. This was the tug-of-war pairing uh, factor opening segment. Uh, and then it's a 50-minute TV episode, and the entire 50 minutes are dedicated to the five Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 singles matches. And given the length of the matches, I-, I only watched a few of them. I don't believe any of it is clipped, though. I actually think it fits perfectly into the TV format but you're right, that does mean we did not get Naoki Tanizaki and Brody Lee versus Don Fuji and Kotoka. But what we did get was the October Cork and Hall Show Gate of Victory 2011, in which we saw Gamma Pac Rich, and Rich Swan defeat Genki Horiguchi, Naoki Tanizaki, and Naruki Doi. Don Fuji and Super Shisa defeating Tomahawk TT and Yasushi Kanda. Kagatora and Susumi Yokosuka defeating BB Hulk and Ryo Saito. Shingo Takagi defeating Brody Lee in a singles match that I just rewatched right before we came on the air. That match ruled. And then the semi-main event, a six-man tag of Dragon Kid, Masato Yoshino, and Yamato defeating Shima, Cybercog, and Ricochet. And finally, Mike, I would imagine this is one of your favorite matches. It's one of mine. Open the Dreamgate title, Masaki Mochizuki retains over Akira Tozawa. Yeah, no, I mean, this title reign was awesome. Mochizuki was a tremendous champion. I mean, this match... 
I this was before I did star ratings. I haven't rewatched to see to apply star rating, but I know emotionally that was a five star match for me. But I remember that this this match was like the biggest test for Akira Tozawa, and he knocked it out of a park in front of like a loaded show. I mean, we get to see kind of like the real formation of Yokosuka Chome like down the card, and then like the the last three matches. I mean, that's just big match stuff, and you know this is when. Corkins and I know we've always kind of talked about how big this feud was up and down this show there's not a lot of chaff here like everything here is everyone going at full at full bore up and down the, the show and it'll, and it's all centered around Junction 3 and Blood Warriors so after the main event referee Yagi came out and he said that the next step of Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors will go down at the November Corkin perhaps feeling expi- inspired by the recent success of Doi Darts Yagi said there will be a five versus tag, uh, five versus five tag match, and the members will be picked in a unique way in the Yagi bread roulette. <laughs> and we got the participants of Mochizuki, Takagi, Yamato, Yoshino, and Gamma versus Shima, Tozawa, Cyber Kong, Doi, and Hulk. And we will be discussing that match in just a moment. But uh, and I, I should note real quick that the loser of that match would have to leave their unit. But before we get to that. We got one of the big five, Gate of Destiny 2011, which happened on October 16th, 2011. This was a huge show for me. Uh, Mike, I'm sure you remember, I'm sure some of the older Dragon Gate fans remember OpenTheDragonGate.com, which arguably had a better archive than the current Dragon Gate network. That is a story for another time. But when I was getting into Dragon Gate in late 2013, early 2014, for whatever reason, this was a show that I gravitated towards. Uh, it was a show that they had on full, easy to stream on the website, I have very fond memories of Gate of Destiny 2011, and the card uh, was Kines, Kenichiro Rai, and Takuwa Wasa defeating Kotoka, Super, Super Shenlong, and Super Shisa, Don Fuji, Starkery Chikawa, and the returning Yoshihiro Takayama defeating Yasushi Kanda, Metal Warrior, and Brody Lee. So yes, we got Brody Lee versus Takayama interactions. Ryo Saito defeated Rich Swan. Open the Triangle Gate match, KZ, Tanizaki, and Doi retained over Gamma, Mochizuki, and Yokosuka. Open the Brave Gate match, Pac retained over Genki Horiguchi. Open the Twin Gate match, Shima and Ricochet retained over Dragon Kid and Masato Yoshino. And finally, the main event, six-way mask versus hair survival cage match, Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, Cyber Kong, Kagatora, and Shingo defeat Yamato in one of the most emotional matches I have ever seen. Mike, what are your memories of this cage match? It's just, like, one of those things that usually, like, haircuts, matches, and Dragon Gate, sometimes it's done with frustration. Sometimes it's done kind of flippantly. This one had tremendous emotion when Yamato lost his hair. Like, there were shrieks going on when Yamato had to shave his head in the ring. And it was something that we were talking about how Yamato kind of drifted back in this feud. This is kind of like the big stamp on it. You know what I mean? He's the Open the Freedom Gate champion, and he lost the first modern like cage match you know it's just insane like and then you know i mean arguably like one of the biggest kagatora performances of his career as well like he doesn't make very many main events and especially with how this feud kind of has its twists and turns he becomes a bigger factor here and then i mean you had you had a hulk and tozawa coming in here and in a time period that really was like the hulk and tozawa show in a lot of ways and no matter what, Yamato was not able to defend his hair. And, like, I remember, like, the moment of... Because, like, Yamato was almost crying in the ring, if I'm right, just based on yes. memory. So, 
tremendous is, moment. Yes, this is my favorite cage match they've ever done. I think it's better than 2015. It's better than 2016. It's, you know, I, I just talked about this on a, on a weekly update that we did, that for a long time I didn't star rate the Dragon Gate cage matches just because they're, they're so unlike anything else. I mean, it's cinematic wrestling if cinematic wrestling was done well and wasn't just abysmal. But... I think I've got to go back and I've got to rate these matches. And quite honestly, Mike, I think this is a five-star match. I rewatched it earlier today and there's just so much happening. And this was a match that I definitively remember watching this and going, okay, this company's for me. Like this was a ceiling point of my, of my fandom and what has turned into, you know, whatever my life has become a different story. But this match was just a defining moment for me as someone watching this product. You have Kagatora, who is far and away the least impactful person in this match in terms of star power. Because it's, you know, it's Tozawa, Hulk, Shingo Yamato, and, and Cyber Kong, who Cyber Kong is doing the best work of his career at this point. And Kagatora, who's not really a star. And Kagatora escapes first, which means that the finish is going to have some big consequences. There's a moment early in the match where Yamato is on top of the cage, flag in his hand, and he looks back and he sees Shingo on the ground with Tozawa, Hulk, and Kong beating him up. Yamato knows if he leaves, Shingo is going to be fed to the wolves that Blood Warriors is going to destroy him. So Yamato comes back, fins off Blood Warriors, and then when Shingo has the chance to leave, Shingo leaves. There's a great moment of the match. It's down to Yamato. <laughs> Most, Shingo thing. Most Shingo thing possible. Well, well, you went on your shield for me? Not for me. Bye. Look, I don't even think Shingo looked back. I think Shingo saw the flag and said, I, I am done. I have, I've done my work. I'm ready to exit this match now. Uh, there's a moment later in the match. It's Yamato, Kong, and Hulk. Yamato, once again, hand on the flag. And Akira Tozawa, who had already escaped, climbs up the cage, beats up Yamato, takes the flag from one corner of the cage and climbs to the opposing corner. Yamato beats him there, but Tozawa beats him up again, and BB Hulk gets that flag, and then it comes down to Yamato and Cybercog. And, and this is the first time I saw this. I'll just never forget just being awestruck by the way they set this up, where at some point, Blood Warriors throws in a rope ladder for Cyber Kong to climb to make it easier for him to get the flag. Kong can't capitalize. Yamato ends up climbing the rope ladder, and they cut the rope with scissors, and Yamato crashes to the ground. And then finally, after 40 minutes, Cyber Kong is able to grab the last flag. He's able to escape the cage, and Mike, you're right. Yamato was left nearly in tears in the middle of the ring as they cut his hair. I am assuming come November, Drangate will upload this to the Drangate Network. It is essential viewing when it comes up. It is my favorite cage match ever. I love this match to death. It's such a like moment for each of these six guys because Kagator is a Torimon X guy, but he pretty much peaced out and went his own road soon after. But you have... For the first five debutees in the promotion here, with the exception of Katsuo, Cyber Kong, in this main event, Masaki Mochizuki was doing a Brave Gate defense when he was was doing a Triangle Gate challenge as a challenger. Shima, semi-main event. This was a huge moment for the promotion because you had all this true borns here. And then Kagatora at this time, like 
I believe he only recently got under contract with Dragon Gate at that time. Like everyone, like you looked at this and it's really remarkable to say like the kind of like thing, like Cyber Kong had the mask that every time he was in the one of these matches case, I thought that he could lose the mask. So like, it was not like a done possibility. Hulk was someone coming in and you're like, oh, he recently had that happen. Shingo, his haircut wasn't because of the cage. So he was a possibility here. Tazawa, that would have been a real bold thing for Tazawa to get his head shaved here. But like everyone was like a realistic thing. And this is, and, and even though there were shenanigans, this was not the, a cartoonish cage match. Like this really was like the most kind of like war games of these matches because it's like the amount of emotion there. And then that was the main event. And like Spike Mohicans versus uh, uh, Yoshino and Kid was a great match. I mean, Spike Mohicans, one of the sneaky best tag teams in Dragon Gate history. And the fact that you had Team Doi Darts versus Gamma Mochizuki and Susumi Akoska fourth from the top is insane. Like this is an all-time Dragon Gate show. Like 2011, like we've talked about Kobe World 2011, Gate of Destiny 2011 was a tremendous show as well. And and Dead or Alive before it is another oh, all-time yeah. show. It, it's really an incredible year, and I had no memory of the Spike Mohicans defense versus Yoshino and Dragon Kid. Went back and rewatched that too. I was lucky to have enough uh, so much time this afternoon. That's a match worth revisiting if you if you don't remember it. It starts really slow. It kind of almost has Dreamgate pacing to it. But with those four guys, once it gets going, it is really on another level. Yeah, no, it's real remarkable stuff. And then I mean, Pack versus Ginky Horiguchi. Like when when we barely mentioned that match on there, and it was not one of Pack's best defenses, but that was a solid Brave Gate match as well. I mean, like you look at the top of the, that card, it is remarkable. And there's still so much more to come. There's a, a, a loser leaves unit tag coming up. A Masaki Mochizuki Dreamgate defense. But before we get to that, we do head across the pond. We do go to the UK for three Drangate UK shows. It starts with the Drangate Invasion 3 on October 21st, 2011, in which Akira Tozawa defeated Dragon Kid, Gamma defeated Naoki Tanizaki, Mark Haskins, Marty Skrull, and the Lion Kid defeated BB Hulk, Shima, and Naruki Doi. Susumi Okoska defeated Masato Yoshino in a match that I, I, I have not seen this show. I would love to see this show. As our listeners know, Drangate UK footage is the hardest thing to find in the world. Shingo Takagi defeated Pac in the main event. I've seen the highlights for this match. I've seen the promo video for this match. I want to see this match in full. Yeah, uh... As I think I've said before, the series I've not seen any Drangate UK, so it yes. is that hard to find. <laughs> yeah, think about that. Mike Spears has not seen any Drangate UK. I've seen two shows, and one of them is the show that followed Drangate UK Shingo vs. Yokosuka 3, October 22nd, 2011. BB Hulk defeats Lion Kid in the opener. Akira Tozawa defeated Naoki Tanizaki. Speed Muscle collides. Masato Yoshino defeats Naruki Doi in a really fun match. Uh, Mike, something to pay attention to here. Shima and Gamma, Osaka 06, a member of Blood Warriors and a member of Junction 3, they team together to defeat Mark Haskins and Marty Skrull. This would come up on a later show in Japan in which Junction 3 questioned why Gamma was teaming with Shima. Shima said, well, the promoter emailed them in English. Gamma didn't understand what it said, so I made him tag with me. Very fun angle there. Semi-main event, open the Brave Gate title match. Pac defeated Dragon Kid for his 11th defense of the title in your main event. You want to talk about five-star matches. This is one of the best matches I have ever seen. It is criminal 
that even the man I am speaking to right now, Mike Spears, has not seen this match. Shingo versus Yokosuka 3. Shingo Takagi defeats Susuma Yokosuka in an all-time five-star epic match. Oh, God, I love this. I know from your describing it and the people that were there, I know that Alan is a huge fan of this match as well. <laughs> this was like the cornerstone feud from what, from what I understand of Dragon Gate UK. And you expect this kind of stuff out of Shingo Takagi, but like the idea of Suzumi Yokosuka going to the suburb and just becoming the absolute legend he is is something that I've always found intriguing. And one day, after we finish this series, we'll probably take a little bit of a break between the next this rewatch series and the next one. Hunting all these shows down and doing a Dragon Gate UK one is probably the next thing on offer, I feel like, for us. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a few ideas floating out there. Drangit UK certainly one of them, and the the UK tour did uh, conclude on October twenty third, twenty eleven. A show interesting to note: it is recognized as a Drangit UK show. It is not represented in the Drangit proper canon. The first two shows are Drangit shows with Drangit UK. This third show is just Drangit UK, and it is the Dragon Gate versus UK gimmick October 23rd in which we saw Gamma defeating Madman Manson, Shima defeating the Lion Kid, Dragon Kid and Masato Yoshino they defeated in a three-way tag, BB Hulk and Naoki Tanizaki and Joey Hayes and Martin Kirby, a Dragon Gate alum, Akira Tozawa defeated Marty Skrull, Pac defeated Susumi Yokosuka and Shingo Takagi defeated Mark Haskins. I wonder who this Madman Manson thing is. Man, well, like, man, Manson. What a name there. What a what an interesting name. He has not worked since October of 2018, and it looks like he just worked two matches in 2018. Actually, it looks like the last time he worked on a regular basis was the ROH PCW Super Shows of Honor in 2014, and I do remember those shows well. Uh, it looks like his second-to-last match was Dave Rain and Madman Manson against Delirious and Paul London on a PCW Ring of Honor show. That's wild. That's wild. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who this is. I don't know what he has done or may have done. It's just something that's like that match opening up a Dragon Gate UK show. I'm like, Gamma versus Madman Manson. Don't know anything about him. Don't. I just, just a wild name. Hey, on his cage match, he said he's an all-arounder and has a comedy slash gimmick. Well, September 26, 2014, PCW just get in the bloody ring. Freight Train of $5 Wrestling fame defeated Madman Manson. That sounds like fun. I, I always had a soft spot for Freight Train. I, I enjoyed the gimmick. I mean, it seems like Madman Manson had himself a career. <laughs> well, Mike, you know who else had himself a career and is still having one as we speak? That man is Masaki Mochizuki. And as we go back to Japan, November 3rd, Kyoto KBS Hall, we are in the Crown Gate Tour. And the thing of note here is the main event, the Open the Dream Gate defense, with Masaki Mochizuki defeating Ryo Saito in 27 minutes. A match that at the start of the show, Saito protested, saying that he was not going to wrestle until the match became a title match. He got his wish, and he fell in defeat in what I think is weirdly maybe the weakest defense Mochizuki had. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I wasn't this like mostly clipped for a long time. I want to say I that think like this. So. Yeah, like this was like a weird thing that I wonder if something happened to the car to make this happen. It was this show like for the rest of it has like just like what you, you stand to, what you expect to. 
uh, Ada Kobayashi had to face Cyber Kong. Like, I mean, this is like a weird show. Well, it only got weirder after the main event, as it was time for the second Doi Darts. This time, they would be deciding members for the Triangle Gate Challenging Team on November 19th. The unaffiliated and comedy roster members were added to the board. Doi said he was reserving a spot for Gamma, so he got exact revenge on him for destroying the last board. Gamma was pleased. However, he added that as a uh, penalty for his free spot, he would also have to compete in the opening match on that show. Then it came to the game. The first target hit was Sashioko Machine. The second target hit was Japan's most famous trainee, Chihiro Tamanaga. And we were set for November 19th. Gamma, Sashioko Machine, and Chihiro Tamanaga teaming to fight for the Open the Triangle Gate belts, a show we will talk about in a few weeks. Oh, Mike, this is one of the best matches in the history of the company. I mean, for someone who has a list of <laughs> cheer hero slash punch Tomonaga matches, we've talked about this match a lot <laughs> in recent months. Yeah, no, like, the, and I remember, like, everyone going, Tomonaga got knocked, to- Tomonaga and Sachi Hoko Machine? What the hell is this match going to be? <laughs> and boy, did it become something. It is the ultimate example of telling stories, but doing it in the best way possible. The same can be said for the following night, Cork and Hall, November 4th, 2011, a card that featured Kaness, Kanichiro Rai, and Taku Iwasa, defeating Don Fuji, Kotoka, and Super Shenlong, Rich Swan defeating Naoki Tanazaki, Genki Horiguchi defeating Kagatora, Ryo Saito defeating Super Shisa, a two-on-one handicap match, in which Susumi Yokosuka defeated not only Tomahawk TT, but Tomahawk KZ. We had Dragon Kid defeating Yasushi Kanda, and then pulling double duty, Kagatora and Susumi Yokosuka defeated Genki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito in just, uh, just under three minutes. And then finally, the 10-man Loser Leaves Unit tag, Junction 3 of Gamma, Masaki Mochizuki, Masato Yoshino, Shingo Takagi, and Yamato. They defeated Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, Shima, Naruki Doi, and the losing participant, Cyber Kong, who was kicked out of Blood Warriors at the end of this match. Yeah, and this was like the first like big win Junction 3 had over Blood Warriors. Like, in the momentum game, it was all Blood Warriors. And the momentum game will be changing a lot over the next few months, but this was like Junction 3 finally, like after everything happening, you have basically the same, the exact same uh, Junction 3 uh, team that was in the uh, make in the June Quarken, pardon me, when Hulk turned and and Tozawa returned. I think this is Kanda's the only addition. It's Kanda for Cyber Kong in this match, but it's basically a run back of that first match that really kicked the feud off into proper. So remarkable Quarken again. Want to note? Uh, uh, Yokosuka Chome, big parts of this show, defeating Marahi Sapa in three minutes. Yeah, that was a, a chaotic scramble. I, I went back, I rewatched that, and then I rewatched what is there of the main event. It's slightly clipped. I wish we got the full thing because what's there of the main event is really good. But it, it's just, that's such a bizarre cork, and you got guys pulling double duty. It just matches all over the place. Uh, I, I'm not going to say it has the vibes of a produce show, but Mike, the last note that I have when it comes to the Dragon Gate specific timeline comes from 11-11-11. Tokyo, Japan, Shinkaba first ring. It is the, up to now, as we're recording, the final Bayuden show. I'm going to read you this card. Some incredible names on here. First of all, three-way dance to open up the show. Katsuo 
defeating Chihiro Tawanaga in Yosuke Watanabe, Kines defeating Kikutaru, Eita Kobayashi and Kenichiro Rai defeated the Kensuke office team of Mitsuhiro Kitamiya and Satoshi Kajiwara. Hikaru Sato defeated Kotoka in 10 minutes. Semi-main event, Mike, I want your attention for this one. Daisuke Sakamoto and Masato Tanaka defeated Don Fuji and Shingo Takagi. In your main event, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Masaki Mochizuki, and Susumi Yokosuka representing Final M2K. They defeated Fuji uh, Fujita Hayato, Kagatora, and Taru Nohashi. A really fun show. Yeah, this is like a different vibe. When it's sad that this was the last buy it in show because yeah, you, you had the first real M2K reunion, like in a way, like like because like yeah, because like Mochizuki and Sumu did not really do a whole lot of stuff after Final M2K was sealed. Having Nakajima join them wasn't like Nakajima at like one point like an assistant to M2K. I believe Honestly. Nakajima ended up becoming an official member of okay. Final M2K. Now I could be wrong; he might have just been an assistant, but. I just I've he had some affiliation though he had he some affiliation he is Mike he's a pushed member of the roster in 2005 and this is when Nakajima's like 17 years old he headlines a Corkin in a tag match and is a featured player in that tag match and is consistently he doesn't work Sambo Hall or uh, uh, Sapporo or uh, Fukuoka all that much but in Corkin halls he is present throughout all of 2005 yeah that's insane stuff uh this uh, Daisuke Sakamoto Masato Tanaka versus Don Fuji Shingo Takagi match. Who boy, that's a lot of meat. That is a that's lot of guys meat being slot. dudes. To to steal your quote, that is guys <laughs> being dudes. Well, I mean, it's stealing. Uh, what's his name? Former Boston College head coach. It's Steve Andazio's <laughs> quote from <laughs> the best line of all time. <laughs> I, I that's why I figured it out for myself because I knew that you were going to be no help, no fault of your own, no fault of your own. But I knew that that was going to be me helping out with that one myself. So, so yeah, no, that's that guys being too. And boy, how great would it be? Everyone gets the uh, vaccine. Everything is cool, and Biden gets restarted. There's nothing I want more, Mike. I look. I'm currently unemployed, about to take on a ton of student debt that I wish didn't exist. But more than anything, I want Biden to come back. I, I mean, I feel like our brain trust. For like the two of us, our produce shows, we're gonna bring we're gonna bring Mochi in. Mochi has some great ideas. Mochi has some connections too. I mean, Kowloon versus M2K. Come on, that's tremendous. It is tremendous. Like that brings us to the end of the Drangate timeline portion. But we do go back to the states for a few brief Drangate USA timeline notes. We do start on September 14th from the Drangate USA Newswire when it is confirmed. That Yamato versus BB Hulk and a no DQ, no rope, non-title match will be signed for Revere, Massachusetts. We talked about this on the last episode. They did a really good job of building this up as a big deal. One thing that they might have run into the ground by this point, October 10th, it is announced that, and I will read Gabe verbatim here, Frey has become a DGUSA signature match known for action, athleticism, and upcoming wrestlers. Now DGUSA will take Frey to the next level on November 11th in Boston and features the most exciting, dynamic, and incredible high flyers in wrestling today. The High Flyers Frey will feature Pac, Ricochet, Rich Swan, AR Fox, the new sensation Uha Nation, which that sounds nice, and the legendary flyer Sabu. It starts with two competitors in the ring and another and every two minutes another competitor will enter. So we have those two matches, our main event and our semi-main event confirmed. Uh, we will discuss, Mike, we will discuss the fray 
in detail. <laughs> trust me when we get to it. Uh, it should also be noted the October 31st Wrestling Observer Newsletter had a note that Drangate USA announcer Rob Naylor has moved to Tampa to work with FCW. I, I guess CM Punk made a reference to him on TV a few weeks back, but our, our time with Rob Naylor, so short, but so enjoyable. I am going to miss him on these shows. Yeah, no, he was an absolute delight. I feel like that as much as I like Chikarsen, I feel like that Rob Naylor really hit the vibe and appeal to the the DG f- fan base that still exists that existed at that point in a really smart way. And, you know, I mean, he got to go work in FCW for a couple of years. He got to, it was one of those things that if you still talk to Rob, he still talks about it really fondly. So, I mean, it's something that was a big step in his life and his career to do that. And, you know, it, it's a loss for DG USA, like clearly. I mean, luckily, Lenny Leonard, the legend he is, was able to, did, did have people come in and not really kill the vibe, but it was something that was noted that when Rob left to go to FCW. Uh, one more note before we finally revolt into 2011. November 1st, Gabe Sapolsky confirms the top rope promotions card, uh, the bonus card to happen before this show, featuring the likes of New England's best talent, Ryan Waters versus Brandon Webb, Lexus versus Luscious Lutasha, and Jason Blade versus Matt Taven. Oh boy. That's some names there. I yeah, mean, the, 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 those are names. Whether I want to watch them or not is a different story, even now. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just like a wild like assortment of names. Of course, like Lexus is Alicia Edwards, which is. Oh, wow. What, I did like, not realize that. Yeah, no, like she was like a big like Northeast wrestling star, especially in the Boston area, then retired after they got married and came back recently. So, very that's interesting. Like the, that's like the most interesting note really out of this collection of guys. At this point, you probably know most of them, or if you don't know them, you probably don't know them for good reason. Well, Mike, that is all I've got. I think I am ready to revolt if you are. Absolutely. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, the show was on 11-11-2011 from the Wonderland Ballroom in Revere, Massachusetts. Uh, before we get going, case it's time to play my favorite game because I did find what was a build attendance for this show and, uh, and what might be in legit attendance. So, Case... Take a guess on what the, uh, if you're not looking at Cage Match, if you do, that's fine. Uh, what was the listed attendance on Cage Match? I will make this guess with the caveat that I have no clue what they drew last time they were in this building. I completely forget. I'm going to guess a healthy 215. Uh, the Cage Match entry is 652. <laughs> It would uh, it would be against the fire code to put 652 patrons in that building. I can tell you that right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the Observer has reported that it was 425, which still seems a little high to me. That seems a high, lot. but good for them. I mean, it's not the thousand they wanted when they debuted this promotion, but that's a respectable crowd. Well, and it's something that they say that uh, it was up, and they said that both Philadelphia and New York were down. We'll get more into the the reasons why that is on future timeline episodes, but let's get to the show itself. So we are in the Wonderland Ballroom in Melrose, Massachusetts. Start off backstage with Ronan. And as we know from last the last week's show, Ronan's in a real tough place case. Seeing both Gargano and Taylor have made claims to the Freedom Gate title. Rich Swan is doing both Junction 3 and Ronan that gets the rest of them mad. But he's going to try to mediate and smooth things over with Chuck and Johnny. Johnny says they're same on the same page, but Chuck seems distracted but goes like, yeah, no, we're on the same page but they do seem united against Blood Warrior. So I feel like this was a smart way for like two months between this. And as you mentioned, like the Newswire, not a whole lot of talking about Ronan coming apart to have this 
front and center on this weekend. No, it's a weird news wire. It reminds me of WrestleMania weekend, which maybe that just means that tickets were selling good enough for Gabe because there's really not, there's just not many announcements. He just kind of lists the cards and okay, we're off. Uh, so this was a good reminder into the Ronan situation. Look, it's a good promo, and you know I like Chuck Taylor. Johnny Gargano is far too goofy for me right now as they are trying to establish him as the top guy in the company. I really wish they would have shed whatever comedy was left in Ronan. I think they would be a really intriguing trio if they started taking things really, really seriously. It's It was a well-done promo, but it was too goofy for what I want from these guys at this current time. Yeah, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. And then we said that Next one, we stayed backstage. Air Fox is giving a promo where he says he's giving DUF a pass tonight because tonight he's in the High Flyers fray and he wants to prove that he is the best High Flyer. I mean, Air Fox, not a promo guy, but, you know, I mean, it made sense in the scheme of things why he said that. Not a promo guy. So then we go to the ring. It is the scene versus the DUF team of Eric Cannon and Pinky Sanchez opening up the show. A DUF would win with a brain buster from Eric Cannon onto Caleb Conley. The scene is very proud of the show being on iPhone and iPad. They call up Larry Dallas from the audience only for him to be dive bombed by DUF. And that starts off the match. So were the scene watching themselves on iPay-Per-View? I did not understand what they were trying to do with the phones. I mean, other than saying, hey, WWN Live, you can watch on your iPad or your iPhone. Like, that's the only justification for it was, hey, let's get this out in the front that you don't have to have your computer hooked up. You can be watching this on your iPhone and iPad, which, I mean, 2011, that's a big thing. Uh, Yeah, no, I'll say that. And I will also say when DUF jumped Larry Dallas, shrieks of horror from the audience. It was a strangely heated angle that led into an enjoyable opener. Yeah, like, that's the thing about this crowd here. Like, we question how many people are in this crowd. But this was a very engaged crowd in this opener, and it's interesting for, like, DUF, I'm waiting for me to, like, get my 2013 glasses back on, me being tired of them and wanting them to be gone. But Sammy, uh, I'm sorry, not Sammy, uh, Pinky Sanchez and Eric Cannon, they worked as, like, a fun tag team, and this was, and it was kind of, like, a little bit out of place. And then Caleb Conley, like, I don't dislike Caleb Conley. I've seen a lot of Caleb Conley, I think I've talked about. Like, he's someone that always pops up on indies around me. But like just like seeing him here, it's like, oh, this is the exact same kind of Caleb Connolly that I've seen in 2018 and 2019, and that was like my big takeaway from this. This was a decent opener. So okay, so we're on the same page at least on the opener for a lot of this. One, the Revere crowd, it's it's like a different setting completely than the first time they ran here in June, because that June crowd is, I think, the worst in One terms of, worst. of noise. It was worse than the Canada shows. It was worse than the Phoenix shows. It was as dead of a crowd as they've run, because even the Ace Arena crowd was decent until Homicide killed that crowd in the worst match in the promotion's history uh, as of now. The crowd here was really hot the entire night. Not really hot, but they were they were making noise the entire night. Uh, since we last saw Caleb Conley, he had slowly began rising up the indie scene. He worked Roderick Strong in PWX, and he worked Finley, who we talked about extensively last week. He worked Finley for NEW on the East Coast. So Conley was getting in the ring with better guys. He looked much better here than I think he did during the Midwest Triple Shot. But your point about the DUF, I 
I'm amazed. And look, I know there's more Sabu coming, but if you remove <laughs> Sabu from the picture, the presentation of the DUF, it is far less goofy than I remember. I mean, there's a moment where Eric Cannon drinks a beer while doing a submission, which quite honestly, I actually, I thought it looked kind of cool and, and fit the tone of an opening match at this point in time in the promotion. But I have been delightfully surprised by the DUF and just how well they fit in on these shows. I really like this act right now. Yeah, like I came into this thinking like I was going to be sick of them and being like, why don't they just have them as like American members of Blood Warriors? But it actually kind of works as their only distinct thing here. And I thought that this was fine. This was like a decent opener. It's two and three quarters. Like it did not overstay its welcome. Like that's one thing I'll say about the show off the top. Ended up like a show that I did not very much memory of it. Ended up liking a whole lot of this. Like this was a, I had I liked this a lot more than the other Boston show, and I might be out on a limb here, but I thought this was a pretty fun DGUSA show, and it started off with a good match here, or a decent match. I went three stars. I enjoyed it. All right, and then Sammy Callahan came out as they were kind of just afterwards, just mugging about, and called out John Davis. Then we had John Davis versus Sammy Callahan. John Davis won with the three seconds around the world in 14 minutes and 48 and 58 seconds. One of the longer matches on the show, by the way. And uh, what were your thoughts of this before I go into my new John Davis fandom? Before you establish dominance? So, oh, I'm always establishing dominance on <laughs> Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch. So there's a moment in this match where Sammy Callahan locks in a guillotine choke on John Davis. And it's about, it's probably the halfway point of the match. Yeah. The guillotine doesn't look quite right. And they really sat there for a long time and it really hurt the crowd. And it just, it just didn't feel right. They, they were big guys doing big moves, throwing big spots. And then we got MMA Sammy and he put in a really sloppy guillotine and it, it didn't entirely work out. But Davis escapes that, and then they go back to the opening portions of the match where, you know, I joked when the last time we were in this building, when it was Callahan versus Mochizuki, how great would it have been if Sammy Callahan just became white trash Davey Richards? Mike, we kind of got that at this match. Sammy Callahan is throwing leg kicks at John Davis like nobody's business. He's throwing these piercing leg kicks at him that are incredible. John Davis is fighting back. He hits a, a double A spine buster on the apron. He throws Callahan's back against the hardest part of the ring. And then, look, I'm a little concerned about the finish. I'll talk about it more as we go along in the show because there was a trend here with the finishes that I didn't love. But John Davis hit the three seconds around the world on Sammy. I, just knowing you, I have a feeling you're going to be a little bit higher on this match than me. The guillotine spot really took me out of the middle portion of this match. But the beginning and the ending were excellent. And if you compound that with what I thought was a really bad middle portion, I went with a really fun three and a half stars here. The guillotine completely ruined this match for me oh i'm so glad you picked up on that as well oh it was trash I, it was, I it was like a minute and i was and a half. over analyzing no but no it, it really sucked the life out of what was a really fun match yeah no like like the first start of it they just like got after it john davis threw him around like john davis establishing dominance and it was really like something interesting like sammy callahan really was white white trash davy richards not allowing uh, John Davis gets hands up and he's like peppering him with shots. And then they did the, the dipshit gu guillotine for a minute and a half and it sucked. And then it got back to being good again. I went three and a quarter. 
Like, it, it's one of those things that, like, you take that out of there, and then you're probably trimming out, like, a minute and a half. Then you have, like, a blast of, like, a 12 to 13-minute match. And it's probably... In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network play like three and three quarters like it's that bad of a guillotine it's that bad and i he went a little bit too far in the white trash davy richards in that result in that resolve you know yeah, it's it's the one blemish on. I don't know what's it's. This is like the Dragon Gate USA homegrown match that yeah, just that the promotion needed. Like Gargano, Swan, and Taylor are at least somewhat established, and then you've got Callahan and Davis is like the next guys in line. And I don't know, this match really, really worked. I mean, other than that one spot, it was like wow, this is like. This is different. You know, I, I don't know if these guys are going to be going out there and killing it with Yoshino, but these guys can probably work with, you know, Yokosuka or Mochizuki or, or one of these bigger guys on the roster. It's a real bummer, Mike, and I'm going to put this right in your wheelhouse. It's a real bummer we never got John Davis versus Shingo Takagi. I mean, I know, right? <laughs> like, 
there's no one in this series that I've completely turned around. And we will get into a moment where I've gotten into Twitter fights with Gabe Sapolsky <laughs> about John Davis's push. There's no one that I've had like the 180 on as much as John Davis, but him versus Shingo dudes, just being dudes that would have been rolled. And then like the finish was interesting. So I took some notes about the finish. So it was three seconds around the world, but it was in a moment where Sammy looked like he was about to kind of turn it on and he called for the stretch muffler. He got up and went, stretch muffler. That's my <laughs> bad impression of Sammy Callahan's voice. And then immediately, like as he was, he was like gesturing for it. Uh, John Davis picked up on my shoulder and gave him the three seconds around the world. It was kind of like a flash pin in a lot of ways, but if you could ever have a spinning uh, sh- over the shoulder powerbomb being a flash pin. I-, I will say this now as my last note for this match. I know when we get to the end of 2012, when I originally watched Freedom Fight 2012, I had very negative thoughts on John Davis. Now, he would redeem himself during the SoCal triple shot to open up 2013, but I know specifically, one year from now, the last time I saw any of that footage, I was not into John Davis. Right now, I am super into John Davis, so I really hope that continues throughout the entirety of the 2012 footage. Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, we're here to establish domination, <laughs> establish dominance, and then be one nation under God of justice for no man. Oh, and that's my God. The the new sensation, Uha Nation. That is, the, the, we talk about Cardinal <laughs> Sins, not branding Uha Nation as literally, literally he should have become champion. I don't care. He should have pinned Yamato after that promo in Indianapolis. I do not care. No, absolutely, absolutely. So post-match, uh, Sanchez and Callahan attack. They do the same thing that they were doing last weekend where they completely just overrun until a bunch of geeks come out. But this time it was a bunch of barricades being thrown out here. Something worth noting after Milwaukee. Gabe, you were so close to having excellent production on the show, but you need to have a light towards the entranceway. And and that, would, that, that is a bigger thing we'll talk about later on in this show. It is, not to jump ahead, but it is interesting during the fray when guys run out to the ring and it, they are running not from the back to the ring. They are running from darkness to light. Yeah, no, no, no I mean, it's follow the light, guys. Go in the tunnel. Go in the tunnel. <laughs> and then we have Eric Cannon come aboard on commentary. The first two matches were done solo by Lenny Leonard, and that led us to Akira Tozawa versus Masato Yoshino in case this is like one of the few things we talked about. This is not a common match in the history of Dragon Gate or Dragon Gate USA, only happening, I believe, five or six times, and one of them being a King of Chop match, which does not count. But Akira Tozawa won this match with the deadlift German suplex in 14 minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah, six times total, five real matches in the King of Chop encounter, and I think only two or three of them made tape. Uh, Dead or Alive right. 2016 is the last time they wrestled. They had a match in 2006 that I believe made tape just judging from their filming schedule that year. And then there's this one, which for me, I think you look at Yoshino at this point, he does seem to project the body language of someone that is overworking in America. He seems like he's getting to the point where he's had enough. And Akira Tozawa's out there, crazy over as always, and two pros put on a solid professional wrestling match. I went three and a half stars for very hard work, but not going into overdrive. Yeah, no, I went three and three quarters, but I mean, Tozawa attacks, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like this, I've been like, these guys, they really had singles matches, but their styles really complemented each other. Like, that's one of the reasons why I brought up those things is it's like, it's a shame that we didn't really get those two but i mean those two basically 
as soon as Monster Express became a thing, we're not on the same page. <laughs> well, we're not. We're on the same team. We did not fight. That Dead or Alive match was that we were talking about the cage matches beforehand being a lot more simple. This was a cage match that you had a match to decide whether or not you're going to be a someone who also put your hair on your line. So, like, that was a very short... That was, like, the shortest, like, cork and... Un, or, like, not cork and pay-per-view undercard of all time. So, like, this... But, like, this match was, like... It was more interesting than anything. Like, mainly, mainly it's just, like, people... Like I, like, I can speak for myself, and I don't want to speak for you, but just, like, wondering what the major main event Tozawa versus Yoshino match would have been. Like, that was my big takeaway. And also, Eric Cannon was drinking on commentary, and just, like, he has some good moments, but there's a lot of him just, like, being... Just playing up being a drunk on commentary. I did not think Cannon detracted from commentary. I also don't really think he added anything. Yeah. But to your point, this is this is the good stuff from Dragon USA that is important to to visit is just the fact that there is a Tozawa versus Yoshino match. And you know, I think this match went longer than the last match they had, that Dead or Alive delegate match in 2016. I mean, it's just not something that we got all that often. So to have a high-quality, well-worked singles match between the two in this promotion is worth taking a look at because it's something that just did not happen all that often. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and then we go backstage where Uha says he's the future pro wrestling and he's stepping into the ring. He says the quote, he does the deal. And it, it, he is the one-man nation under God with liberty and justice for no man. He did the deal. Yes, sir. La- yes, sir. <laughs> and then Larry Dallas tries to get him to join the scene, but Uha wants nothing with that. And LD and LD wants the scene after Uha. Right side of history. Larry Dallas approached Uha Nation, and Uha Nation said, "No, that is why we stand this king." <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I mean, like, this is just like. <laughs> Sorry, Larry. I know, I know you're upset about me taking shots at you, but it is you are Larry Dallas. You do have to deal with it. <laughs> I, I I like the two kind of playing off each other in the segment. Like it was, it was a going, really no. good backstage promo. Larry, like Larry, has not gotten a ton of mic time. He introduced on two at the second anniversary show, and then he's done. Uh, he said he was looking for the women of Indianapolis on Chasing the Dragon and then has had very right. uh, brief promo time in Chicago and Milwaukee and then had this year. Well, he's banned. Larry Dallas has been good. Like, he's been really yeah. enjoyable so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, considering that he's banned from the promotion, he's back. <laughs> that you is know true. I mean? <laughs> it's a lot of non-sanctioned backstage segments with Larry Dallas. <laughs> and Uha believes in law and order in the one man nation he is not having it there's liberty and justice for no man and that man was Larry Dallas oh I love these Uha promos so much Uh, when the show's over I'm gonna do like some sort of comp of some things and I'm gonna make sure to have an Uha quote in there for you I love it Uh, it's really it's like the the promos like I don't know. Some people can say they're so bad they're good. I don't know. I genuinely like them. I think One Nation Under God with Liberty and Justice for No Man is an awesome tagline. Yeah. No, for sure. And then we went into a Blood Warriors versus Ronin tag match. It was the Blood Warriors team of Brody Lee and Shima defeating the Ronin team of Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano in 18 minutes and 59 seconds with Shima getting a win back on Johnny Gargano with a Meteora. And... It is something that, like, just one note before I get your thoughts on this. There's an awkward pause in this, in the, when we talk about Eric Cannon commentary, where he says that Shima does not like him at all, and I don't like him. <laughs> that I just wanted to point out. It was a great, like, awkward pause that, Lenny let that breathe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I do not pick up on that, but that is very funny. Here's the deal with this match. It was a huge disappointment. 
Uh, the first time they ran this building, they were supposed to run Brody and Shima versus Chuck Taylor and Rich Swan. I'm sorry. They were supposed to run it with uh, Johnny Gargano and Rich Swan. Chuck Taylor got hurt, so they put Rich Swan in the main event. So they're doing a little bit of a make good here. I don't know. This match was long. It never really got going. Like I said at the top of the show, I thought there was too much Chuck uh, Chuck Taylor comedy in the promo, and I thought there was too much Chuck Taylor comedy in this match. And then on top of that, John Davis pinned Sammy Callahan, who was challenging for the Twin Gate matches or for the Twin Gate belts on the next show, and Shima pinned Johnny Gargano here, who's challenging for the Freedom Gate belt in two shows. The finish here is Gargano pinning Shima, or Shima would never allow it, but Chuck Taylor pinning Shima. I was really disappointed by the fact that that challengers lost in both of their matches on this show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's something that really, like, when you book this match like this, and we'll get into, like, the 2011 and 2012, like, this company, like, you look at this match, and there's one person in this match that, knowing Shima and knowing the things could have gotten the win and like this Brody leak. I mean, the the way they booked him, they've already kind of butchered him. This with how he was standing, how he was booked, how big would have been for Gargano to got the pin, got the submission on Brody Lee. We will get into another, another, well, another weekend of faulty Brody Lee booking. I mean, it kind of continues with what comes next, but it's not even the biggest crime of the weekend. Yeah, no, that is fair. That's fair. Uh, the match itself, I really enjoyed. Really? I went four stars. Yeah, because I like this element of, like, we talk about how Brody is booked, but there's, like, an element of the idea that when Ronan is able to isolate Shima, and I've always been a big fan of the Taylor Gargano tag team, one of those things of Chikara in that time period that gets slipped on because it's Chikara, but they were a great tag team working together. I think Johnny Gargano is... Other than like his his heel DGUSA championship run, much better as a tag guy than a singles guy in my opinion, and that one was good. But like they would isolate Shima and they seemed like to have number, but then Brody would come and wipe them out, and I thought that it was really kind of interesting. Uh, one note that I don't remember what what I had this for is Shima and Chuck Taylor could have had a really funny comedy match if they didn't hate each other. <laughs> that is very true. I, I mean, two great comedic mind, minds just diametrically opposed and just never could happen. And then Brody and Chuck had like good chemistry here, and Gargano like sold his ass off for this. Like, this was a very brutal-looking Meteora. Like, it did look like that like Shima took off his head after a Shawine and a Meteora. So, like, I hate the finish, but I thought the match itself was really good. Where did you stand on it? I'm a full star lower than you. I'm at three stars. I, this match just never got there for me. I don't know if it was the pacing. I don't know if it was an individual performance. I just think the entire thing didn't really work. I did like Gargano kicking out of the Schwine before, as you are right, he did eat shit on that Meteora. But yeah, I, this was a, a real disappointment for me. Four guys I really like in a situation to succeed, and I don't think they did that. Yeah, and I, I get your mindset there. Like, And this is maybe one like the big matches that we've been, and it's not even a big match, but like a match that we've been kind of off the same page on it it's just i like look at this match and maybe it was that was already in the good vibe space you know i mean i just had an uha promo i just had akira tozawa and masato yoshino in like their most like prominent singles match ever (laughs) and it i was like in a good vibe place and maybe that like colored it somewhat here but i feel like there's a lot here that like sadly i think you're absolutely right the finish sucked like like not the finish itself but the finish decision but it's just 
I, I, I get it. I get it. It's just one of those things that this was like a sneaky, great match in my books, but I totally understand why you are against it. I did enjoy the promos that followed. Oh, yeah. So afterwards, Shima said that he was better than Gargano, did not even, like, mention Chuck Taylor, but he said he could not beat him. But then Chuck super kicked him basically out of nowhere, like, rare great production here. Like, Chuck just came in and just rocks him and then pulls Gargano to the back. Shima, like, recovers, and he's he, and he says he hates Boston. And then Brody says, I hate Boston, too. And that's probably because of a hockey thing. <laughs> it probably is because of a hockey thing, and the promos did not stop there, Mike. We go backstage to even more promos that I enjoyed. And, yeah, this is a thing that I wish they did more. Like, this isn't a carnal sin, but this is something that when they did, it always added a lot to it. It was Yamato saying that backstage it was not about the belt and that he wants to basically kill B.B. Uh, uh, Hulk, and then B.B. Hulk basically just kind of just came back with it and said it as well. Really effective work using... That they were both kind of drifting in and out of English into Japanese, but the subtitles talk about a lot. And if they were willing to do this a lot more on these shows, imagine how well stuff could be built up. Because it's not like these guys are bad promo guys. I mean, Dragon Gate, arguably the most promo-dependent promotion in the world, was all about having these guys on the microphone, and they kicked it, and they killed it here. I feel like it's the first time they've done the translated backstage promo since maybe WrestleMania weekend 2010 in Phoenix. Uh, 2011 because remember that Misaki Mochizuki's great backstage ah, promo yes that is <laughs> how could I forget um so yeah they said it once for Mochizuki it just seems like something that should have been done a lot more because these promos were super simple and super short so I'm led to believe it is uh, a lack of effort thing that prevented them from doing more of these yeah yeah and it's not like that they were I, I'm assuming from like watching from the DVD case that they were able to put these on screen. Like, this is not a show I remember, so I don't remember these promos happening, but I'm assuming that they did this enough time they were able to translate, put subtitles on it. So it's not time, it sounds like. Unless this was done in post, then, okay, I understand the effort a little bit there. But this is something that really would have added a lot to some of these feuds if you were able to get be more willing to let the guys cut promos both in English and Japanese and just translate them and put them on screen. I completely agree. And then we had a WBN live promo as they took intermission. And then we had a match that when we were running down the card, I was like, okay, this match must not have been taped. It must not have made air. But guess what? It did. BJ Whitmer defending, defeating Vinny Marsaglia. That is the future for, for future uh, horror king Vincent, by the way. Case. I know that you were a little confused last time, but yes, this was Vincent. Of, we were talking about guys earlier. Here's a guy here. In two minutes and three seconds for Peruvian necktie. My only note on this is that Vincent's look in 2011 was fucking wild. Yeah, no, Vincent has never and will never do anything for me. BJ Whitmer, uh, I think, has like an incredible best of collection and then just a bunch of nonsense. Uh, This submission made no sense. I hated that he used it, but I don't want to talk about this match. I actually have a pet peeve with the WWE live promo that I want to see if you've picked up on. Okay, what's up? They're running through these highlights of 2009 and 2010 during at USA and, and the first year of Evolve, and it is all background music with the clips either silent or you hear crowd noise. But there's one clip in the middle of this promo, and I forget the wrestlers, and it's going. I, I meant to write this down, but I, I've noticed it every time they've run this promo since the start of this year when they started running it, and it's I believe it's Moxley and Jacobs. 
I believe Moxley is powerbombing Jimmy Jacobs into a barricade. I know that's the move. I just don't remember the exact wrestlers. And for some reason, in the midst of this WWN live promo, that again, is driven by background music and the occasional crowd reaction, they turned up the volume on the commentary. And you hear Lenny Leonard in the middle of this promo for WWN Live, you just hear him say the words, John Hopper. I don't, I don't understand why they did this. Or maybe it's John Popper of Blues Traveler. It, it's, it's, it's something, I, I think it's John Popper. I think I remember the, him using that on commentary now. It's just, yeah, this I, is the Boston show, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he would, he would have been, he would have been uh, uh, making that reference. I don't know. It just drives me insane that they did this. It makes no sense from a production standpoint, and I can't unhear it. It's the only thing I pay attention to when I see the WWN live promo now. Did, have you noticed this, or am I completely out of my mind? I have bad hearing in one of my ears. So, <laughs> Wait, did you want to know why? <laughs> no, 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 I'll tell you why I have bad hearing in one of my ears, and you don't think it's hilarious. It, it's Mike Spears lore. Please, I, I'm afraid this is going to involve fireworks somehow. No, like, like usually, like, like the biography that will be written after my death will be "Weird Things Happen to Me," the Mike Spears story. Like, I feel like, I feel like, case that we know each other well enough that that's not me over over exaggerating. Like, no, that's I'm very someone, fair. That I, I'm someone that weird things happen to. I was at a concert in college. It was my fr- after my freshman year of college. It was a I was working as an intern at the Texas Rangers, which was if you want to know, like, when I make all those like. Uh, all those uh, Mark Teixeira trades happen. Yeah, no. You were pulling I, the I, strings there? <laughs> I mean, I wish I was. That's an all-time <laughs> great trade. But so I was at this concert, and I stood next to the amplifiers without earplugs. Mm. I got there early, did not have in. I sit, my, my my hearing my right ear is a lot worse than my left. I'm not deaf or anything, but it's one of those things that if I have, like, sound coming from me and I'm not listening to it, like, in stereo, you know, I, things might sound a little bit more quiet for me. Uh do you want to know who the who the two bands were that I saw? Well, I have a very similar story, so I'd love to know who the bands you saw were. The first band was Catch-22. The second band was Real Big Fish. I have bad hearing one of my ears because of Real Big Fish. <laughs> uh, look, Mike, many Americans do. <laughs> I, I will say I was at a show two years ago at the Bottom Lounge in Chicago. Bottom Lounge, good venue to see a show. I've seen a, I've seen a lot of good shows there, but... They have these giant overhead, oversized speakers. And for a smoking Pope show, I was too close to one. And it is the last show that I went to that I did not have earplugs for because it really spooked me. I was not hearing well out of either ear for about three days afterwards. And ever since then, I learned my lesson. I flew too close to the sun. I'm a big earplugs guy now. So you and I, you and I, Mike Spears, we're not that different. We're not that different, yeah. And then ever since then, all the metal and post-rock shows I go to, I always wear earplugs. Like, <laughs> went to South by Southwest, had earplugs on the entire time. I, I Old man standing away from the amplifier wearing earplugs. That was my choice there. But my, I'm Mike, real next- quick, I, I, I know we want to move on to the BJ Whitmer promo, but I do have to ask what, you one more question. Have you seen the band Japan Droids in concert? No, that's a band I've always wanted to see in concert, but I never have. <laughs> you look like a guy that would be at one of their shows. And I, look, <laughs> With the I track like jacket them too. on. <laughs> look, I, I think they're great. When I think of their fan base, I do think of you. I mean, you, you think of a kind of short, shortish height guy 
wearing like an obscure t-shirt and a track jacket, <laughs> wearing a baseball cap, having thick thrim glasses, having earplugs in. You that's, know, that's not. It's, it's literally that's, their fan base. I, I mean that and a band. I you may, you might have heard the precursor band, but McCluskey and Future of the Left. Yes, okay, I yeah. look like that fan base. <laughs> Very much so. McCluskey, Future Left, by the way, great show, great show. If they ever start touring again, I don't know if they ever will come back to the states, but it's worth going to see. Crazy show. Saw what them about- with AJJ. Oh, well, very nice. I was just thinking, I just saw AJJ, uh, it would be three years ago, four days ago from when we're recording this. Anyways, uh, let's talk about this BJ Whitmer promo. All right. So BJ asked for a microphone for about like an awkward 15 seconds that felt a lot longer. It looked like they were not going to give him the microphone. Like he was like going, he was doing the pound your, your hand into a closed fist thing, asking for a microphone for entirely too long. You could tell that they were not wanting to have him on the microphone. But then he said he came back to DGUSA to find the biggest and baddest, and he called out Brody. Then they call, then they brawl from the shadows into the light, and then back into the shadows, and then into the merch sand and back into the shadows. Terrible BJ promo that I cut down to one sentence, but almost Moxley and uh, Homicide-esque bad segment. I just don't understand why in the midst of BJ Whitmer and Brody Lee brawling, they just cut away from it. The oh, yeah, segment, no, they do. Like, the segment just ended with no explanation. Indefensible. Horrible. They did not want to have him cut that promo, I think. <laughs> look, I, look, I wouldn't have. I don't know what the original plans were, but it, it does seem like that segment did not come off as intended. That's fair. That's fair. Like, And it's one of those things that uh, it does definitely have that. And then... We had a Fearless 2011 video, which, as you all know, at this time, I track how long they announced these DVD releases. That's five months. So, not bad for them. It'll get a lot worse. And then Chuck Taylor is now on commentary and cuts a promo directly into the camera before we get to the next match, our semi-main event. And I, I before we get into this, Chuck and uh, Lenny Leonard, great chemistry on commentary. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, Chuck Taylor could be doing commentary with a broom and he would be excellent. Yeah, 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 he managed to say a lot of things that pop, a lot of things that work in 2011 that don't work in 2020. <laughs> yes, Ye- yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, we, we will probably, I, I mean, like, he's he's in pre-woke Chuck Taylor form. He's definitely someone that I think has accepted that things he said then were not cool then. But then we get into the six-way fray. It is the match you mentioned that was the high flyers fray. We're going to see who truly is the best high flyer, as it is Ricochet, Air Fox, Pack. Rich Swan, the one-man nation, the new sensation, Uha Nation, and Sabu. The eliminations just going off the bat. Uh, Air Fox and Pack eliminate Rich Swan after uh, Fox just climbs on top of uh, Pack after a springboard for 50, and then Pack was really angry. Uh, the scene come out and, and basically take out Uha Nation. He's never officially eliminated, but he's basically taken out of the match. Pack eliminates Air Fox with a shooting star press. Uh, and then right afterwards, Ricochet rolled up Pack, and then Ricochet pinned Sabu with the 6.30 splash in 17 minutes and 25 seconds. I was told this match was good, and those people were wrong. <laughs> so, the opening portion, when it's Pac and Swan and AR Fox in, it's really fun. I really like it. Pac and Swan in particular have really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. From there, Uha comes in, Uha's not bad, but he's just, he's, you know, he's coming into the ring with Pac and Swan in particular. He's just not as crisp as them. And he stands, he stands out because of it. 
Yeah, no, like this is definitely like an an Uha Nation will be soon working in Japan. We'll talk about it more later, but you could see like the potential there with him and he does certain things great and certain things you're like see where you're going for there uha just a smidge off and that really stood out in this match especially with we know how much swan has really picked up fox has really improved and then and then uh, ricochet and pack you know what i mean well when it's when you're in a match with like those high flyers and it's you and sabu you kind of stick out so uha gets attacked by the scene and that's just the end of him. He just never returns right. to the match. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, honestly, I was you know, being facetious earlier when I said Uha should have won the belt in his debut. But honestly, in this match, where you have a built-in story uh, where where Pac loses for a reason, AR Fox is established, Rich Swan is established, but it's not going to win this match, Ricochet doesn't need the win, and Sabu certainly doesn't need the win. Uh, honestly... I think the right decision would have been Uha winning this match and having Uha pin AR Fox and just have Pac and Ricochet take care of themselves. Swan was out early. Do whatever you need to do with Sabu and just have Uha and Fox, you know, the the the, the Georgia guys end the match and have Uha win. I really think that would have been a smarter move than what they did of clearly not wanting to defeat Uha, but having him just mysteriously disappear and then 2011 Ricochet in the ring with Sabu at the finish. <laughs> wow, what a distinct, uh, what a, what a difference in talent. I mean, oh my God, Sabu is so slow at everything, and Ricochet is is just completely handicapped by this guy that can't move around the ring. That doesn't really seem like he wants to be there. I don't know, Mike. I went three and a quarter on this match because I liked the opening portion of it so much, but it just fell off a cliff. No, I went three and a half, and I had the exact same things. I just really liked that opening portion so much. Like, it was when you had, like, the first four guys there, because the, the entrance were Swan Impact started, then Ricochet, then Air Fox, then Uha Nation, and then Sabu. I'll get into my big issues with Sabu in a second. But when you had, like, those four in there, it was really fun. It was just, like, an absolute blast. And they all were hitting on good. They all were meshing well. Everything was, like, really really like flowing well and flowing well in a way that's not dissimilar to how D how Dragon Gate proper matches flow. Like this was not like something that like if this was a, a rare four way singles match on a DG show at that time, it would not look out of place. I think that's fair to say, but then Uha, like he's green, but he's still really impressive. Like he, he, he does come in here and they did. And I'll say this, he, they did call this match in a way for him to succeed. Cause he comes in as an absolute monster, just wiping everyone out does this pump kick that just murders air fox and then i don't know if he gasses or something but like he could tell like the more he was in it the more he was for lack of better words exposed and yeah completely. from there the match goes completely off a cliff uh sabu gets gets called in and he gets announced it takes about a good solid two minutes to get into the ring like just don't know where he was and they were starting to laugh about it on com chuck and lenny were like we don't know where he is and that was funny, but, like, it was just one of those things. And then, you know, the whole scene thing, like, you, you know, I mean, that that was the angle for Uha, which sucks. I mean, I'd rather, as you said, Uha and Fox, like, this being their big coming out show. Because at this venue before uh, last time, Air Fox had a standout match of Akira Tozawa. Yeah, it's, yes. I, I, I will say, after the Milwaukee show, we saw Sabu 
have an abysmal Chicago debut where they, they messed up his debut too. They didn't turn off the lights. It was very weird. And then he has that match with Pinky Sanchez in Milwaukee. I, just how, I mean, I, I know that you're coming back to the Northeast. I know you're coming back to the arena, but how do you continue to book Sabu after that? Certainly there's an ECW legend and not Tommy dreamer, not Tommy dreamer, Gabe. <laughs> I don't want him. Don't want him. But certainly, there has to be uh, a sweet spot between Sabu and Tommy Dreamer for someone you can book to brawl with Sammy Callahan. I mean, the two people I'd like to see are the two people I don't think you, you could have brought in. I felt like you could have, if you had Masato Tanaka or if you had Tajiri. Oh, I was, I was are... thinking Steve Carino. Those two would be very nice as well. Oh, Steve Carino would have been very interesting. Steve Carino now firmly is in Sinclair. Yes. Well, he's firmly in Sinclair. At this point, not a contracted Sinclair talent. Uh, He was given the, we'll see how this goes, contract. Uh, He and Jimmy Jacobs, the only two guys that got that treatment once Sinclair took over. But what is, (laughs) I, I, I don't know. It's weird. Like, we just watched White Trash MMA Sammy, and then I think about, the matches that have have worked with him in AAW and the amount of walk and brawls I've seen with him in AAW. And part of it is just a stylistic thing that I prefer, but it seems weird that Callahan got typecast as this brawl guy. When I think his best matches are when he's straight ahead, smash mouth pro wrestling, like that John Davis match with the Mochizuki match. And it's a shame that as his career has gone on, he's been, uh, given more plunder and more brawls, and we rarely see the Callahan that we saw on this show at all on the landscape anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's one of those things that he had this time, he might have been a little bit too heavy to be considered a junior, but he basically was his best was doing the, the, the uh, as we said, the Davy Richards Jr. sprint. Like, that was his, and, and to this day, I think that was his best match type. And then, of course, he just became Sammy Callahan that we know today and yeah Sabu like at the outset I've said not really looking forward to the Sabu parts not really looking forward to the Sabu parts and I've might reassess things with John Davis I might have found a new lord and the dumb jock uh, Davey Richards I was dead on right about Sabu in this promotion absolute Carlson from day one yes it's been horrible it's been horrible but case you know what was not horrible what was that Mike that was what happened after the show as they were buying times or after the match as they were buying time for them to take down the ropes. And I, I and it's something that like they took down the ropes pretty fast, but then they'd use this to set up something in the, in the future weekend. It also kind of reminded me of a thing that was talked about by the flagship, by, uh, by Rich and Joe talking about how indies don't set up like storylines and they managed to set up a really solid storyline out of this because uh, Lenny Leonard's out there and he calls out Akira Tozawa, who wanted to have a moment of time, which I was like, what does Tozawa want? And he comes out here, and he says, and I quote, uh, he says, hey, hey, Boston, what's up? Shut up. I want Freedom Gate champion. <laughs> and, then, and then he starts cutting out, cutting a promo in Japanese, and then Rich Swan comes out and says, Tozawa, uh, we're in America. Why are you speaking Japanese? You can speak English. And Tozawa just continued doing this, and then he wanted a rap battle with Tozawa, and we got to have, I think, the only American occurrence. Something that I completely, I don't remember the show, but when I saw this moment and I saw what happened, it is one of the craziest things ever about Dragon Gate that not a lot of people, like especially people who weren't following like iHeartDG at the time, knew. 
we got to see an appearance by Good Song Tozawa. And as Good Song Tozawa versus Rich Swan, uh, Rich Swan wraps up by calling him a bitch and calling him nothing and shit. And then Tozawa boots him and then calls him big bullshit. And Chuck tries to offer Rich Swan a hug. But we got Good Song Tozawa and Dragon Gate USA. And I have to say this Akira Tozawa has some pipes. On the Art School Albums podcast, which you can subscribe to on your podcasting platform of choice and listen to new episodes every Thursday that I host where I talk to my friends about various albums. It's a very entertaining show. Mike Spears has been on the show. We talked about the American Football LP1 record. I often talk on that show about how singing is an overrated concept. I don't really think uh, proper singing technique is... It's not that it's not impressive. I just don't value it in any sort of music. I, I don't look for it. I think if you sound like a talent show singer, you belong in a talent show, and that real music is made for people that emote in their lyrics. That being said, the pipes on Akira Tozawa are second to none, and I thoroughly enjoyed him singing in the most professional, proper tone yet. I loved this. And it's not just like he was singing like pop or anything like this. It was like a rich baritone, like singing. I don't know what song he sings. I really want to figure that out. But it's like a soulful ballad that Akira Tozawa like breaks out of nowhere. And it's something that it's called Good Song Tozawa because there was a man in Dragon Gate called Karaoke Machine. He made an appearance earlier in 2020 at the Tori Modern Reunion. You remember Karaoke Machine, right? Of course I do. And he would challenge people to sing. And then they discovered that Akira Tozawa surprisingly has a tremendous singing voice and they called it good song to Zawa because at the time when he was like a rookie and everyone hated him they just knew that he had, could sing and they would have good song to Zawa come out occasionally and he'd break out a ballad and everyone would be like how is this kid a great singer why is good song to Zawa a thing and at one night in the Wonderland Ballroom in Melrose Massachusetts it came across I'm sad that I don't remember the show before watching this here because I would have talked about Good Song to Zawa taking over Boston for years. This was a really great segment and something that it's just the fact that indies in the current day aren't even doing just this, such a simple angle. Such a simple angle. It's not a blood feud. It's not it's not funk versus, you know, flair. So simple. They set up a match for the next night. Really well done. Yeah, no, I thought that was really well done, especially for someone like Tozawa who's like as much as, like, Tozawa is such a big thing as we've talked about during the uh, timeline segments, Tozawa is, like, in this weird position in DGUSA, and he kind of remains in this position that, like, he's such a star, but they don't want to put the belt on him, so you have to find stuff for Tozawa to do. So this was a really effective way. And then we had one of the things that they did not do too much, but they did a really great job, I feel like this, of this Hulk and Yamato music video that, you know... It was such a big thing in the promotion, something that's so, such so much like in my background that I don't know if they lucked into this or this is something that Gabe Sapolsky planned out all the way. But tremendous music video summarizing the few that went back to open the uh, open the historic gate 2009. It is crazy to think that this was the first match in the promotion proper, and we're seeing you know two and a half years later a real payoff to it. It's really nice to continue my weird production nitpicks. I really enjoyed the hype video. I think it's something I wish they did more of. I did. I like. I don't know if you noticed this. I do think the text they used was unusually small in this video. This yeah. is real nerd production nitpick, but I I needed the text to be bigger. It felt uncomfortably small given everything else going on. 
Well, you know why it probably was. I could tell you why. Uh, what, because they is... were editing on Windows Movie Maker, probably? Well, on top of that, uh, they're still shooting in 480p. Mm. So, standard definition, that text would not look as small as it does on our current television sets. Fair enough. And that's why it's, like, all artifacted, you know? Yeah. Now, this is, this is archivist Mike Spears coming into play right here. I, I did not know that. Thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things that often, even, like, if you have something that upscales it, text does not usually upscale very well like images and things like that you could get upscaled pretty well and it's one of those things you won't notice the distortion and the artifacting but when you upscale text especially from something that's 480p and to be honest like this dvd cut of it i wouldn't be surprised there was a lot of artifacting that happened from the live stream then to whatever they have on their master this is just real nerd shit (laughs) for me but uh that's why i feel like it's that way and these are things i concern myself on a daily basis well, the good news is, Mike, I don't know about you, I thought this match was terrific. Oh, so we had the no-ropes match. Uh, Yamato defeated BB Hulk in 19 minutes and 42 seconds with a Galarae on a dang chair. In this match, four and a quarter stars absolutely owned. I, I wh- Where do you typically stand on the no-rope matches? I, I don't feel like they've run one since maybe Yamato versus T-Hawk was the last one. It has been right. probably five years since they've done one, five or six years I, so I, it's not stuff that we reviewed on the show or really talked about. Where do you typically fall in line on these no-rope matches? Well, we already talked about my favorite one earlier this show. I think that Tozawa and him have a tremendous no-ropes match. Like, yeah, that one, that one's good. Four and a half to three, four and three-quarter star match. And I didn't rate it that time, but my memory of that match is that it owns. Like, severely owns. And this is not too far from it. It's one of those things that you would think that this kind of becoming the Yamato match type you would see a lot more often, especially with him as company A's over the last few years, but not really. But also, I mean, like he's been a face and you don't, and, and his face now is a, is a much more different face than especially like this uh, Kamikaze and uh, Junction 3 version of Yamato. I would certainly be open to him bringing it back. I know with the T-Hawk match in particular, and, and this is without me seeing any of the 2011 stuff at this point in time when I when I first watched that match. I just remember thinking, like, okay, I think they're out of ideas for this. Like, I don't know exactly where they go from here, but if they wanted to bring it back now, I would certainly encourage it. I think it would be interesting with the roster they had. I, I It's not a match I'm really crazy about just from what I have seen. I do like the Tozawa match you mentioned, and I'm sure there's one or two other good ones. There's... Oh, Mike, I got news for you. There's one good one coming up later on in this promotion's history, but... Oh, oh um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was, you know, a little a little curious and a little concerned going into this match, how it was going to fare, and, you know, this is, a ma- uh, this is a show up to this point. I don't really have anything in higher than three and a half stars, the John Davis-Sammy Callahan match. Then I came into this... It started a little slow, and then right around the time that Yamato climbed the uh, the ring post and went for some sort of frog splash elbow drop, it almost just looked like he fell off the top. Right around the time he missed that splash, I think he, things really kicked into full gear. I love this era of BB Hulk. He was kicking Yamato's head off in this match. Multiple kicks to the head that connected to a point that the crowd reacted to it, that Chuck Taylor on commentary reacted to it, and that Lenny Leonard reacted to it. And then Yamato had a great, valiant fight back, and he won with the Galleria on the chair. Four stars flat for me, and a really strong way to end this show. 
it's something where the crowd initially did not know what to make of this match. I mean, let's be honest, up until that it's kind of become like the indie trope du jour, not really, no ropes matches, not really a thing in wrestling, at least in the United States. So bringing this completely foreign kind of uh, match to an American audience and then getting them behind it and then watching the commentary, like I felt like that Lenny and Chuck did a tremendous job on the call like about the sheer brutality of this because Hulk was just laying it in and Yamato has always been someone that if you if you want to trade, he will trade with you. So these two worked really well in this. There was like this really cool moment of of Yamato, since there's no ropes to run off of, trying to gather momentum where he kind of ran around one of the ring posts and then hit a absolutely brutal drop kick that would later be called Go to Hospital One. But it was just nasty looking and it just was like a really cool use of it. And they they use this all like pretty like innovatively. There was like a quick Tozawa interference thing where it's like, why do you want it? Why is Tozawa doing this? Why like that was a little bit of a head scratcher because they point out like it's no EQ. You don't need to scratch the referee for this. Like you can just go ahead and do it. But the crowd really got into it as it got deep, and it was one of those things that this is that like whenever like on the main show talking about Yamato the one thing that like I really miss is like there was like a level of stiffness and urgency they had in this time period. I feel like it was best encapsulated with his no ropes matches between both Tozawa and Hulk. And that's why I ended up loving this match like four and a quarter. It's interesting. Like just, I don't think like we've had a show that I feel like we've been so diametrically opposed on. I ended up really liking revolt, but I totally understand like just a couple matches not going your way. And then the one big tag match that we greatly diverged that the two of us, did not like that that you kind of come off with like this is a this is a match that saved the show in your opinion this is a match that kind of solidified this as a pleasant to very good watch with two four-star matches with me and then you have the one four-star match that saves the show for you yeah i i i the the one thing that we disagree on is the tag match where again that just didn't do much for me but i think we're relatively uh lockstep for the rest of the show i like this show it's one that clocks in right around two and a half hours and you know, the fray is badly flawed, but it's not bad the entire time. Uh, the Whitmer stuff is at least quick. And then with Tozawa and Yoshino and especially Callahan Davis, like those are wins for me. And then the main event was great. So I, I came away from this. It's certainly, I certainly enjoyed this show more than I did their first show in this building and pretty much anything from that June triple shot. Yeah, I mean, like that June triple shot really had me going like, oh, we're in the dive. We're in the dive. And but, but like I'm comparing this like immediately to the Way of the Ronin show where we both came away with with like that title for title match and then which is the match of the year currently in the promotion and then a strong Gargano and Maruki Doi match and like that that show felt a lot more like okay and then Tozawa and Davis and then I like, comparing them show to show like this is a step back show in my opinion but it was a step back show that I think like there's enough things that are interesting here that if you're someone that does not already have this DVD, I know that WWN Live has recently taken off all of DGUSA because of the licensing thing. Never believe in digital licensing, by the way, guys. But uh, there's interesting stuff here. I mean, you w- the matches you've talked about, Good Song Tozawa, like it's an odd show, but it's an interesting show. It seems like we started to descend after WrestleMania weekend. We went into a full-on nosedive with the first, or I'm sorry, with the with the June Northeast triple shot, things were shaky during the Midwest. 
and it looks like we have finally stabilized, at least for the weekend, because, Mike, after the Yamato go-home promo, which closed out this show, I think we need to talk about what's coming next week. November 12th, 2011, Bushido, Code of the Warrior, from the Asylum Arena. The gimmick on this show is Drangate uh, Trueborns versus the DGUSA homegrown talent. We do start with a dark match, which I'm curious to see if we will get footage of this or not. BJ Whitmer and Uha Nation versus the scene of Caleb Conley and Scott Reed. And then the main show, Masada Yoshino versus AR Fox. Pac versus Brody Lee. Akira Tozawa versus Rich Swan, BB Hulk versus Johnny Gargano, the sore thumb on this show, the street fight between Sabu and Pinky Sanchez, and then two title matches to close things out. Open the Freedom Gate title match, Yamato defends against Chuck Taylor, and open the United Gate title match, Shima and Ricochet, the Spike Mohicans, defend against the DUF of Eric Callahan, uh, <laughs> of Eric Cannon and Sammy Callahan. Interesting show. Like, I'm looking at the cage match now, and really am interested if we get that dark match, you know? I'm interested in the dark match, because I know, with the exception of the one thing that is just Sabu, Pinky Sanchez, oh my god, I love this show. I'm so excited to rewatch this Mm -hmm. show. Yeah, and it's an interesting show, and we will get more into why this is also an interesting show, as it will be Bushido Code of the Warrior, the ultimate show of Dragon Gate in Philadelphia. This is the first time we watched this show. We will bid farewell to the Asylum Arena after this next episode. It's weird to think that we're already at that point case where we're seeing lasts instead of firsts. Well, you know, Mike, we're about to pay tribute to the arena. Not on this show. We will mention it in the notes. We will not be watching that show. Uh, behind Mike's back, I've been since uh, the WWM library has been pulled from the internet. I this week was trying to. Uh, wrangle in an mp4 file of an evolve show that if i can find we will be watching for this project it is not and i will i I will repeat it is not evolve 10 a tribute to the arena but how dare you but uh, it is coming up i mean the arena as you know people knew it was about to cease to exist and then you know it would open up again but yeah philly coming up next week i'm delighted to watch this show yeah no i'm looking forward to it as we're closing out 2011 only Two more shows left in 2011, and then we're kind of getting into, I don't want to say the dying days, as the promotion doesn't go out quick, but it's things are going to change very quickly as we turn the clock from 2011 to 2012. That's going to do it for this edition of Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch. You could follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You could follow Case at underscore in your case. You could follow me at Fujiheya, and that's going to do it. We'll be back with you next week as we say goodbye to the arena. Not farewell, because Case will not let us say farewell to the <laughs> arena, but we will be bidding it farewell for GGUSA. I think we could say that. We could agree that we're going to bid it farewell from GGUSA, Case. We can say that. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. Open the voice gate. Take care.